Okay, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 5 and from verse 1 to verse 7. There are a few Bibles at the back. I'm sorry I spent a lot of time typing all this out this morning and then I left this, this stick at home as always. But you've got the Bible there so it should be fine. Be imitators of God therefore as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we look at your word, and all of us, from the youngest to the oldest, would be able to understand and to apply it. In your name we ask it. Amen. Okay. Um, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. If we have become Christians, if we are believers, then we know that not just our spirits, but our bodies have been saved by God. And all that we do is to reflect that. In the verses just before, in, in chapter 4, Paul says, Don't tell lies, but tell the truth. Don't lose your temper, but ensure that your anger is righteous. Don't steal, but rather work and give. Don't use your mouth for evil, but rather for good. And we looked at those last week. This week, we look at his idea of being kind and compassionate. Don't be unkind or bitter, but rather kind and loving. And verses 1 to 7 of Ephesians 5 show us how we do that. And in particular, it talks about one thing in which we are to be very different from the culture around us. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to begin with verses 3 and 4, which is a kind of the middle bit, like a sandwich, and the bread is verses 1 and 2 and verses uh, 5 to 7. Verses 3 and 4 say this, Among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Okay, I'm treading a fine line here, uh, in that I don't want to contradict what the passage itself says. I want to teach what the passage itself says. But I have to be in incredibly plain and straightforward. And I also have to say this, that um, it, it's, we, we live, this is very opposite to so much of our culture. And it doesn't matter whether you're in Blackness Primary School playground, or whether you're at university, or whether you're at home watching television, you're in a cafe or whatever, you will find that our culture goes the very opposite of what we are told here. And it's easy for us just to, um, how will I put it, just to be affected by that. It's also easy for Christians to be quite prudish 
and to get this wrong. So there's a balance involved and I hope that we'll be able to strike that balance. Verses 3 and 4, what Paul says is very simply this. Don't joke about sex, but rather give thanks for it. Sexual relationships and so on. I, the, Christians use a lot of euphemisms and words uh, to try and avoid saying certain words. And there really is no point in that. It's very plain what is said. If you had an older version of the Bible, it would talk about fornication. And people think, well, that sounds, that's a nice good biblical word. No, this is what it means. Sexual immorality. This is what we are talking about. He turns, Paul has turned from self-sacrifice to its very opposite, self-indulgence. He's turned from love to lust. He uses two words. One is pornea, from which we get the word pornography. And the other is akarthia, which... Uh, carries the idea of uncleanness or impurity. And the bottom line is this. The Bible's teaching is straightforward, it is very plain, and no matter how many scholars come along and try and make it ambiguous and not clear, it is this. And it's dead straightforward. Sex is for a couple within marriage, between a man and a woman. Everything out of that, everything out of that is wrong. Everything out of that goes against what God has designed for us. Now, that's a huge statement and there are lots of questions that arise out of it. We won't deal with them all today, but we'll deal with some of them. When Paul here, somebody might say, well look, isn't this Christians being obsessed about this again? Doesn't it talk about greed? Sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or of greed? Yes, But what Paul is doing there is he's talking about greed in the sense of desiring or wanting somebody else for your own gratification. Paul says we have to avoid this. We've not only done to avoid it, but it must even be mentioned. He's dealing in the culture of a society where, where there was gross immorality all around. Artemis, for example, Diana, god of the Ephesians, was a fertility goddess. And if you go to Ephesus, you can still see the remains of her temple. And in that temple would be ongoing prostitution. Children were regularly offered. And child pornography within that context. And in the middle of that context, where there were not only statues, but there was a whole culture that was very sexually explicit and degraded, people became Christians. People who had been prostitutes, people who had been abused, people who had been shrine prostitutes, people who had lived very, very immoral lives, men who thought that they had the right just to buy women. Lots of these people became Christians. And Paul is writing to them in Ephesus and he's saying, you didn't come to know Christ in this way, there's a different way of life you've got now, and here it is, and there's no kind of messing around with Paul. He says, there must even, must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Now I think our culture is not advancing. I think our culture is regressing to the kind of Greco-Roman pagan culture that existed in Paul's day. There are Christians who for years who've said, oh if only we could return to the New Testament church. I've never wanted that. And I don't want it, but it looks as though we're going to get it. 
And part of what we're going to get is this contrast between Christian standards of behavior and the growing darkness in the culture around. Well, there's an objection that people have immediately with this. And especially some younger people might say, Oh, come on. Don't be such a prude. The church is always going on about this kind of stuff. That's what we're sort of known for. We're kind of joyless and people are just enjoying themselves. And what's the problem? Don't even joke about it, he says. And so people will say, well, just lighten up. Well, I'll tell you what the problem is. And I, I can't really even begin to list. But let me give you two examples. In fact, three examples. Let me give you three examples from this week. Uh, on Tuesday, I got a phone call from the courier, and they asked, for those of you who are not, by the way, from this part of the world, the courier is the, um, how shall I put it, it is the Times of Dundee, and that's what you want. Well, the courier phoned me up and said, would you like to write an article for us? I said, yeah, sure, what do you want me to write about? And they said, Dundee has once again been shown to be the teenage pregnancy capital and the abortion capital of Scotland and double the rate of most other places in Scotland would you like to write an article and I I certainly would Um, I wrote them an article I don't know if they're going to publish it because I don't think it's what they expected but we shall see because what I would try to do in the article is what I want to say here is in our culture people are being taught you have sex without consequences. And that is just not true. It is just not true. The best-selling book in the Western world, in the world at the moment actually, sadly, is a book called Fifty Shades of Grey. People say, don't comment on a book you haven't read. No, I'm not going to read it. I've read enough reviews to know I'm not going to read it. It's what they are calling, what publishers are now calling mommy porn sold 20 million plus copies. I know enough to know that it speaks about abuse and violence and dominance of women by men. And it's put forward, oh, isn't this daring? Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this erotic? No, it's not, because if you were at the gate last night and you saw the film Nefarious, and if you haven't seen it, I will have a DVD copy of it if you do want to see it, That film demonstrates, amongst other things, what the CIA says, that the sale of women... Now, this is not prostitution. It's just the sale of women. Women actually being sold constitutes the third largest industry in the world. In the United Kingdom, there are 20,000, mainly girls, 20,000, it is reckoned, who have been sold into slavery. And it's because, a large part of it, is because of this notion of what Paul here calls greed, thinking you can own somebody else. So, no, it is not harmless. It is not to teach what the Bible teaches, is not to be prudish, and to uphold biblical standards is actually to seek for justice and fairness. Verse 4 goes even further, though, saying, you, you, there mustn't be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed. And most Christians would say, yeah, we, that's, that's, you know, we don't want to go there. Or we shouldn't go there. But verse 4 goes further. It says, you mustn't even be mentioned. 
Verse 11 says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Now those of you who are smart and are awake and are thinking will say, Wait a minute, isn't Paul saying don't talk about this? And what are you doing talking about it? Isn't there a contradiction? Well, if there is, Paul's contradicting himself because he wrote this letter to be read in churches. And incidentally, he wrote it to be read in churches where there were men, women, and children present. Be very careful about substituting a middle-class Victorian morality or prudishness for biblical morality. The Bible's very explicit and very clear. And I do think one of the problems that many of us have had growing up in the church is that the church has not been so explicit and not been so clear and has done everything almost by hint and innuendo which ironically is the very thing that Paul is arguing against what he's saying is this he's saying don't make this the subject of conversation don't make this the obsession of your life advertisers and newspapers know that if they put the word sex into the title of an article it will get double or triple the number of hits especially if it involves also a celebrity I know that myself that if I write an article and it goes on a website if it's about a particular subject such as homosexuality or whatever it gets double or triple the number of readers Paul says wait a minute what are you doing What is your obsession with this and why are you engaging in such vulgarity? He talks about obscene talk and foolish talk and coarse joking. Swear words which are sexual. A dirty mind expressing itself in dirty conversation. He uses a word here which is very interesting. uh, It really means wit and Aristotle when he used it, he spoke of it as, as a virtue. And I think that actually directly applies to our culture as well. Because there are people who are very witty, they are very clever, they are very humorous. And yet when they speak, they, they use innuendo, they, they make all kinds of smutty jokes. And because they're funny, we laugh at them. And because we laugh at them, we maybe repeat them. And then it almost becomes part of us as well. And Paul says... Don't go there. You do not use your body in that way and you do not use your tongue in that way and you do not use your mind in that way. There's an old song, a great song by the Jay Giles band where he's talking about his angel. The song is, I think the title was My my Baby's a Centerfold. Or I think the the title of the song is just Centerfold. And he's talking about as his beautiful girlfriend and then... One day he, he was reading a pornographic magazine and he, uh, he says this, my blood, my blood runs cold, my memory has just been sold, my angel is the centerfold, my angel is the centerfold. And he was describing how disgusted he felt at seeing his girlfriend in the center of a pornographic magazine. And of course the irony is that he himself had bought that magazine and was reading that magazine. I do have to mention something here. Um, and it's a specific thing and I I mention it because there hasn't been a year when I've been in this church where it has not been an issue for some people and that's the question of internet pornography and I do have to say this all I'm going to say about it is this 
If that is something that you have a problem with, and what I mean by have a problem with is this, that when you go on the computer, you click, and you click, and you click, and you know exactly what I mean. If you have a problem with that, it does become an addiction. It becomes an over, overwhelming thing. And actually, we can help. There are people here who are able to help. There are, um, we've been involved with this for some time with, with um, people. And it's something that you can very, very easily fall into. And I just say simply, if you do need help in that, then please do just ask. Now, draw me an email, speak to me in the end, come have a coffee or whatever. Uh, I can point you in the direction of people who really can help with it. Paul says, right, don't go there. You don't, your body is special. You have been saved by God. You have been saved by Jesus Christ. Don't go along with the standards of this world. Don't go along, not just with the actual sexual immorality itself, but the language and everything else that comes out of that. Be different. And what is the difference? What is the opposite? He said, rather, these things are out of place, but rather there should be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is not self-centered. Sexual immorality is. Thanksgiving is acknowledging God's generosity. It is a, a gracious response to God's graciousness. There are alternative Christian and alternative pagan attitudes towards sex. Dr. Michael Focal says this, Christianity's most intolerably burdensome legacy, sex as sin. That's not Christianity's legacy. We avoid vulgarity and immorality, not because we have a low and warped view of sex, but because we have a high view. We see it as God's gift, which does, which we do not want to see cheapened. Because what happens is, as people have the wrong view, they then end up having the wrong view of other people. They then end up cheap, treating other people in a way that's cheap and horrible. And that is how we end up in a situation where the third biggest industry in the world is selling human beings. As Christians, we go the opposite way. We say all God's gifts, including sex, are to be the subject of thanksgiving, not joking. To joke about it is to degrade it. We are told here we are God's holy people. As God's holy people, these things are improper. And I stress it again, and I'll keep stressing it, it's not prudishness. It's not prudishness. It's not embarrassment. It is rather a very, very, very high view of sexual relations, which means that for many, many Christians, it will be, we're not going there. It means that our culture tells us, oh, you've not really lived until you've done this and done that. And you say, wait a minute, no, not going there. Not going there because I regard what God has given as being far too valuable to be cheapened by human distortion and a perversion of God's great gift. Okay, boys and girls, let me ask you, do any of you have a hero? Who's your hero? Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi. Good hero. Great choice. Absolutely. My hero too. Anyone else got a hero? David Silva. David Silva. Reasonable choice. Yeah. David Silva is pretty good too. Any other heroes? 
heroes or heroines? Super. Okay. What's your, who's your hero? Jesus is your hero. Even better answer. Okay. You can have two heroes. Okay. William Wallace. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're training him well, Bruce. Great. William Wallace is a hero. What about, I don't know, I'm kind of hoping Andy Murray's going to be my hero. There's no, a hero, what do you do with it? What, what do you do with a hero? Why is someone a hero? What do you do with a hero? Like Lionel Messi, I mean, I'm, well, I haven't quite got a poster of him on my wall, but I, I do have a photograph of Lionel Messi, and I've got a shirt, it's not his shirt, but... You want to be like them, exactly. If you've got a hero, you want to copy them. Well, here in the Bible, we're being told, right at the very beginning, the passage we're looking at, God's saying, look after your bodies, and he's saying, look after yourself, and look after other people, because you want to copy Jesus. You want to be like Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at uh, uh, in a moment. First of all though, verses 5 to 7, we're told to behave this way because no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. Now there are lots of reasons why we should obey the Bible's teaching about human sexuality. Very straightforward. 1 Corinthians 6, the human body is created by God, it belongs to Christ, it's indwelt by the Spirit. We are not our own, we are bought with a price. That is very important. When someone says, it's my body, I can do with it what I want, the answer is, no, it's not, it's not yours, it's God's. And when someone says, well, it's my body, I can do with it as I want, actually no, because that also affects other people. But here, Paul gives a particular reason, and it is the fear of judgment. Now, he is not saying, you have to be really careful here, he's not saying the sins he speaks of here are any worse than sins he speaks of elsewhere. He'll go through various different things. Nor is he saying that if you have committed a sexual sin, that's you, you're finished. He's saying Christ died for those sins as well. But this is what he is saying. He's saying this is about what you love. That's why he says it's idolatry. It's about who you serve. If you make lust your life, then you're not making Christ your Lord. And for, Paul is saying, look, that's what you used to be like. That's how you used to live. You don't live like that anymore. And that can be seen in so many different ways. For example, if someone becomes a Christian and they say, I'm going to follow Jesus because I think Jesus will give me a husband or Jesus will give me a wife. That's not following Jesus. That's using Jesus to try and get what you really, really want. Whereas Paul says, no, look what you have to do. You, because you love Jesus, because you are loved by Jesus, then you are able to live this very different lifestyle. Let no one deceive you with empty words, says Paul. There are plenty of people within the church and out with the church who want to deceive Christians and say it doesn't really matter. I was speaking to uh, a doctor who told me we were talking about various issues involved with um, 
health and morality and so on. And he told me that a number of years ago, he was involved uh, with uh, somebody who was a CU leader in a Christian union in the United Kingdom. And was a Bible study teacher in this church. And he came to him as a doctor asking uh, for advice. Uh, Not just advice, but asking for medication so that he could continue to sleep with his girlfriend. Didn't see anything wrong with it. Had no shame about it. No, didn't see. Here he was teaching the Bible. Here he was involved. Why was there anything wrong with that? And that's something that I've come across a lot. And you think, what are you doing? Are you, are you reading the Bible? Are you aware of what God says? Do you know what Scripture teaches? Do you know what Jesus says, the one who you're supposed to be following? Why do you buy into certain bits of the Bible and then you leave out other bits that don't fit the culture that you belong to? Paul says there are people who deceive you. They deceive you with empty words. They say, oh, it's just love. They say, oh, it's, it doesn't really matter. They say, well, Jesus loves everyone, everyone anyway. And Paul says, these are empty words. Don't let them deceive you. God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. And he tells us not to associate with them. Not in, sorry, not, not to associate. He says, don't be partners with them. And that's straightforward. As a Christian... Of course I am going to associate with people who have different standards and different points of view and who have a different moral ethic and a different view of what the Bible says. I'm going to associate with them because I want to know them and I want to tell them about Jesus. But I'm not going to be partners with them. I'm not going to endorse or to agree or to make light of a lifestyle which I believe brings God's wrath on those who are disobedient. We are not buying into the values and vices of our culture. We are not Victorian prudes, but we have far too high a value of human beings just to buy in to what our culture says. So the first motive, or the last motive he gives is, you need to be careful about this because there is a day of judgment coming. And when the dead are judged according to what they have done, including, and I stress it again, not just this particular set of sins, but many, many others as well. But the second motive is back to verses 1 and 2. And I've often heard verses 1 and 2 preached on on their own, taken out of context of chapter 4 and the rest of chapter 5. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is modeling. This is mentoring. This is where you get role models. Who are the role models in our culture? Who are the role models that our children have? I think it's great if children look upon their parents as role models. It's great if they can have role models within the church. And there are good role models to have within the culture. But sadly, the people who are often put up as the celebrities, as the heroes, the heroines... They're not much of a role model. Jesus is to be our role model. We are to imitate God. Thomas Akempis wrote a great book called The Imitation of Christ. Christ himself is the image of God. We copy 
God, if you like, by copying Jesus. There's nothing that Jesus did that isn't of God. There's nothing that Jesus is that isn't of God. So if we want to, to be, fulfill this command to be imitators of God, we need to copy Jesus Christ. Just as children copy their parents, so we are to copy our Heavenly Father. So, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45, we read this. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There are two ways to walk. You're going along a path and you're faced with choices all the time. And there are always two ways to walk. One, even if you can split them into many other paths, one is just simply is to copy God. And the other is to copy the people who are around you. To copy the culture that is around you. I know it's really corny, but I still think it was a really good thing. You used to have these bands that would have WWJD. What would Jesus do? And it's actually a really, really good motto to have. What would Jesus do? How do we do that? How do we live this life? How do we be, imitate God? Well, he says, you're given over to love. As God is love and as Christ was given over to love, so are we. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In chapter 4 and verse 19, we read, Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Paul's saying, you used to live like that. You used to give yourself over to this way of life. You used to be sexually immoral. You used to treat women or men as objects for your own satisfaction. You used to do that. You gave yourself over to it. That's what obsessed you. That's what you read about. That's why you clicked on that particular link. That's why you, you made that joke. Because it was the idol within your heart. But now... You've been rescued by Jesus. So you give yourself over to love. What you had before was not love, it was lust. What you have now is love. Now, you'll notice here that giving ourselves for others is pleasing to God. And you'll notice also that you don't set love over law. You don't fall for the lie of the devil which goes... Well, God's a loving God and uh, he loves me and I love him and I can sing my songs about loving Jesus and it doesn't matter what I do because it's all about love anyway, isn't it? Except God says, but love is what you do. You show your love by what you do. You show your love by what you say. And it's because we love God we obey his law. We're not people who say, oh, well, I can't do this because I'm going to be punished. Or I can't do this because, um, you know, someone won't think well of me. It's because we love God and because we love Jesus and because we want to be like him and because we love other human beings and want the best for them that we say no 
to those things which others say, ah, go on, go on, what harm is it? It's a sacrifice that is pleasing to God, like Jesus. Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There are two ways. The way of indecency and coarse jokes and covetousness and sexual immorality. Or there's the way of Jesus Christ. The second way, of course, is how God-centered it is. We copy God, we learn Christ, and so we do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, when faced with that kind of choice, and I want to suggest to you, it's actually a choice that even those of us who are Christians, we find that we have to consciously and actively make probably every day. Which way am I going to walk? Who am I going to follow? I'm going to follow Jesus. But faced with that choice, it, sometimes it's just really, really difficult, isn't it? How can we be motivated to do it? You know, when you get addicted to something, when you're addicted to your own idols, how do you break free of that? Well, let me suggest that what Paul says here gives us the most powerful motivation and means of all. Why do a lot of people get caught up in disastrous relationships? Why will a woman who's been battered black and blue by her husband say, but I'm going back to him because I'll, what? I'll be alone. I'll be left. I'll be on my own. I want to be loved. And even if he does beat me, at least he loves me sometimes. People get caught up in disastrous relationships because they want to be loved. The Christian doesn't need to go there because the Christian should know that we are loved. We are dearly loved children. How do we know that? Because Christ is the fragrant offering. Christ is the sacrifice to God. I'm told that the relationship that a a man is least likely to deny is that he loves his mother. Why? Because his mother is cared for and loved and shown great sacrifice and that that idea of a mother's love is very powerful and very strong no matter what your child has done. Well, there's a love that's stronger and there's a love that's deeper and there's a love that is more powerful and more intense and involves more sacrifice and that is the love of Jesus for us, the love of God for us. It is actually impossible to describe how much God's loved us. But once we begin to grasp that, once we begin to understand it, once we are left open-mouthed and wide-eyed at the sheer magnificence of the love of Jesus Christ, then every single need we have for other loves doesn't disappear but pales into insignificance in comparison with the love that Jesus has for us. If you understood how much you were loved, if you understood how much Jesus has done for you, you would then be able to live a life of love and all these kind of temptations and things which appeal to some part of your nature and which are partly right in the sense that they're a perversion of what God has given that's good. All that 
will be so much easier to handle and so much easier to deal with. Christianity is not, don't go and do this, don't go and do this, don't go and do this. It's not primarily self-discipline and saving yourself. It is, do this because Jesus has loved you and loved you with a love that is so precious. It is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And I ask simply, if you're not a Christian, please find out about a love that goes beyond anything you will ever, ever experience. And if you are a Christian, please heed the words of Paul. Christ chose you. Christ died for you. Christ loved you to the end. Christ continues to love you. So don't give yourself over to the standards and traps and horrors of the culture around us. Instead, give yourself over to Jesus. And as you do do so, you'll find something. And let me finish just by saying this. We would often say something like, uh, you might say to children, don't hang around with those people or those people because, or you talk about one bad apple spoils the whole barrel. You know, a kid comes into your class who's the, you know, just really bad in their behavior and it just, they say, oh, it just spoils the whole class. Someone moves into your area and they're, they're, the way they treat their house and the way they behave as a family, it just downgrades the whole area and so on. Do you know what Christianity does? It works the opposite way. Christianity does the miraculous. It says one good apple turns rotten apples. That's what we have got to do. I am not suggesting in this, and please don't misunderstand me, I am not suggesting that we back off from people and say, well, we don't want anything to do with them because they're sexually immoral and they belong to this culture and so on. That's the way the world is. We're not to judge people within the world. What I'm saying is we are to live such a different life that people look and say, I want that love. I want what they've got. They've got something far deeper, far more powerful, far more significant. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.